0: Episode 59, Can Church Teaching Change? This seemed like a relevant topic given the chaos and confusion and craziness that's coming from all the preparations for this synod on the synodality of synods or whatever it's called. Most of the confusion is coming from even bishops, particularly bishops in, say, Germany, who are saying things that seem to contradict church teaching, and yet this is happening pretty openly in the context of a synod or the preparation for a synod of the universal church. So what's really going on here? To what extent can church teaching change? Well, the first thing we need to note is that we're not dealing with this in, the, in a vacuum. We've already dealt with certain questions such as God's existence, his institution of the church, the existence of objective morality and objective truth that don't change, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church so that she not fall into error, so we're not, uh, we're not just asking this question, can church teaching change? If you were just to ask it like that, then most people would probably say, well, yeah, you know, the church, it's got to kind of be relevant, keep up with the times. And so, yeah, it might say certain things now that it didn't say before. But this is misunderstanding a number of things. The divine institution of the church, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the existence of objective truth. The church's role in the world as a light to the nations, not something that conforms itself to the world but is supposed to help conform the world to Christ. So given all that we know and all that we've talked about already, of course church teaching can't change to the extent that it is teaching things as good now that were taught as evil before or teaching things to be true now that were false before or vice versa. That's simply incoherent given what we've already talked about. So if Christ instituted a church and promised the Holy Spirit to guide it into all truth, and if the church is the instrument of salvation for the whole world and it's a light to the nations, then then of course all of the controversies, all the things said by unfaithful bishops, are not true. The church cannot teach a moral evil to be now a moral good or acceptable or even neutral. The church cannot say that marriage has a totally different definition now, contradicting what church teaching has been from the very beginning. That kind of change is impossible. It can be, of course, taught by individuals. It can be taught by bishops, even multiple bishops. It can be said by even the pope. That doesn't make it true. Church teaching is not based on the whims of man. There's more to church teaching than what a bishop or even a pope feels like saying at a particular time in history. There's more to it than that in the sense that there's scripture, of course, and the weight of tradition, which along with scripture forms the deposit of revelation. So, simply speaking, Christ, who founded the church and revealed to her the truth that he wanted propagated to the nations, Christ cannot contradict himself. Truth cannot contradict itself. That's the short and simple answer to the question of whether or not church teaching can contradict earlier church teaching. No, of course not. But it's, of course, clear that the articulation of church teaching, the body of teaching that we have, say, in the catechism, is much larger than, say, what the church had in the the beginning it's articulated more. There are things that we would say now, specific things that we would teach now that perhaps the early church or even the church throughout uh, the centuries didn't say or didn't have as codified or formalized church teaching. So what's the deal there? It seems that there is change in church teaching. Remember that we say that the deposit of revelation, everything that Christ intended to reveal to us, he entrusted to the church, once and for all when he came, and that Revelation ended with the death of the last Apostle, because the Apostles were Christ's special bearers of Revelation. He revealed himself to them in a unique way, and they taught what he said and did, and so Revelation ended when the last Apostle, that is, John the Apostle, died. So nothing new will ever be added to Revelation after that moment in history. So how can we account for us teaching things that maybe saint peter saint paul wouldn't have explicitly taught the answer lies in viewing the church as an organic body like a living body that has self-knowledge we've talked about that before in how uh, the church decided on the canon of scripture for example that through her liturgy and through her her life and of course through the guidance of the holy spirit she came to an understanding of things a clearer understanding of things and so That's how we account for changes, or rather more accurately, developments in church teaching. That the church always believed, for example, that Mary was the pure, virgin, sinless mother of Christ, mother of God, and that part of that was articulated in the early centuries, that she was perpetual virgin, that she was mother of God. We talked about that at the Council of Ephesus. And there was always an understanding that she was free of sin, or at least uniquely holy among all other human beings. But this wasn't articulated until the 19th century. So it's not as if uh, Pope Pius IX in the 19th century was like, you know, I feel like saying that Mary is conceived without original sin. No, it's just that the church through her life and liturgy came to the understanding, a more accurate or a more explicit understanding of the nature of Mary's holiness. And even that was understood in the early church, just not articulated in a formal way in church teaching. If that seems shady to you, consider that Christ's divinity wasn't even formally taught by the church until the Council of Nicaea in 325. And of course that's very early, but it's still three centuries after the death of Christ. Are we to say that the church didn't believe and didn't teach Christ's divinity until then? Of course it did. It just didn't formalize it in the context of a council because it was never doubted. And so a lot of these developments, so to speak, of church teaching are really just articulations of teaching that is held either implicitly or in seed form from the very beginning, and usually on on account of some controversy or some doubt of that teaching. And so the church then needs to articulate, to safeguard the faith, what exactly she believes to be revealed by Christ. And consider the knowledge of humanity in general. This is how things work. Of course, not guided by the Holy Spirit, so it's not the same thing, but even so, there's a body of knowledge that we have certain principles that we have, and over time we kind of flesh out those principles and understand things more uh, more perfectly, more thoroughly. Now, of course, unlike the church, the whole body of human knowledge, natural knowledge, scientific knowledge, is prone to error, and oftentimes we, we progress because of the error. We see the problems in our thinking and we correct them, etc. But in general, there's a lot of times where we understand certain principles about how the world works, and we don't follow those principles to their logical conclusion until much later. So that the Church, as not just a divine institution, but also as a human institution, a communion, a group of human minds both across the world and across time, that the Church would only come to a more perfect understanding of the divine mysteries over centuries, that's perfectly reasonable. Not, not even just reasonable, it's what we would expect because we are the the church is made up of human beings and human beings don't understand things all at once their understanding of things develops and increases over time especially because here we're talking about divine mysteries realities that we can never comprehend fully even in heaven so the fact that we are human beings with limited minds and that we're dealing with realities and truths that exceed our comprehension that accounts for why the church only explicates or articulates certain elements of the content of Revelation much later than when Christ gave it. In understanding more clearly how this development in our understanding of Revelation happens, there's St. Vincent of Larens has a famous quote where he says that what distinguishes Catholic true true doctrine from false is uh, that we hold that faith which has been believed everywhere, always, and by all. Now, that's very general, but what we can get from that is that If something is a novelty, a complete novelty, disconnected from what has been believed by the Church in the past, then we can be sure that it's not true. If we can't, and always, meaning, if we can't find some principle of a teaching in the sacred tradition of the Church, that means it wasn't always believed, and therefore not a a valid development. And by all, meaning that You can't just take a unique teaching by some historical figure and assume that that is valid doctrine. It has to be something that is universal within the church because the church is the body of Christ. There cannot be some teaching here, which is true, but not taught over here. This is a podcast, so I was pointing to different uh, places when I did that, just FYI. So we're not dealing with an evolution of doctrine, which is what most people are tempted to think because as we've said before in other podcasts, evolution is the lens through which we view everything now and we just assume that as history goes on, we come to more truth and that what comes later is always better and that something can evolve entirely differently from what came before it. That's not what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with evolution or progress in the normal sense of the word. We're dealing with development from principles That we are just coming to a better understanding of the content of Revelation, not that the content of Revelation is evolving. In the words of the, the document Dei Verbum from Second Vatican Council I've quoted here before, it says, "...what has been handed on by the Apostles comprises everything that serves to make the people of God live their lives in holiness and increase their faith. In this way the Church, in her doctrine, life, and worship, perpetuates and transmits to every generation all that she herself is, all that she believes." So again, what the church teaches is what she has always had. The church just transmits what has been given to her by Christ and by the apostles. The deposit or the content of revelation was set once and for all by Christ and the church just transmits it generation after generation. And yes, with articulation of what the content of revelation means. A more thorough account of the development of doctrine was given by uh, Blessed John Henry Cardinal Newman, who's an English convert to the faith from Anglicanism, and his treatment of development of doctrine is one of the more famous, and he had a an essay called An Essay on the Development of Christian Doctrine, and he gives seven characteristics of what are real developments, authentic developments of church doctrine, seven criteria that we can look to to see if a particular teaching is an authentic development what it, from the content of Revelation. And the first one he calls Unity of Type, And basically it means that there is a consistent reality present in a teaching, a consistent principle or consistent content, despite the change of name. So if if something is said differently, can we identify that the content of that teaching is still the same despite the change in name, that the ideas remain the same even if they're called differently? And if it's the same idea just with a different name or a tweak of a name or a more relevant quote-unquote name for a particular period in history, then we can say that's an authentic development. The change in name doesn't really make much of a difference. The second criterion is continuity of principles. So if something is a true development of doctrine, it has to be consistent with the principle that it started from. So one example would be one of the main principles of Christian teaching is the incarnation. Therefore, if some development of doctrine or proposed uh, teaching is given that contradicts something about the incarnation, we would know that it is a corruption rather than an authentic development. Uh, I talked about this with Gnosticism, that if something is anti-incarnational, then we know that it's a corruption rather than an authentic development. If there's some opposition to the sensible forms of the sacraments, visible structure of the church, all of these things that are related to the incarnation, if something opposes that, then we know it's a corruption rather than an authentic development. A third criterion is the power of assimilation, and that basically means that if there's a strong authentic idea that comes from God, then it's able to take in other things, like a body takes in nutrients and assimilates it into the body. So one example of this would be St. Thomas Aquinas teaching the theology of the Christian faith, taking in ideas that come from, say, pagan philosophy, because they are they happen to be true, so they can be assimilated into uh, the Christian faith. The concepts of Aristotle and Averroes and Avicenna, even though they're, they're pagan or Muslim philosophers, the elements of truth that they teach can be assimilated by the faith. That shows how robust the Christian faith is, that it's not afraid of other things. It can use truth wherever it finds it and assimilate it into itself to help make it more clear. The fourth criterion that Newman gives is called logical sequence. And that's pretty self-explanatory, that if something can be seen to be a logical consequence or logical outcome of a prior teaching, then it can be considered revealed. Uh, One example of this would be defining that Christ had a human will. That came later in church history than defining that Christ was true god and true man but what follows logically from him being true man is that he has a human will because that belongs to human nature so that's just one brief example of logical sequence the fifth criterion is called uh, anticipation of its future and that basically it's kind of a flip side of logical sequence it basically means that in the earlier teaching you can see some Uh, seed or incipient form of a later teaching, that it can be identified even in some small way in the earlier teaching. The sixth criterion is conservative action upon its past. So that means a true authentic development builds upon past teachings rather than destroys them or undercuts them. It clarifies them, whereas a corrupt doctrine obviously would be one that contradicts an earlier teaching. So that's pretty self-explanatory. The seventh and last one is called Chronic Vigor. And so uh, to explain this, it's just pointed out that heresies are always pretty short-lived and we can look at the body of Catholic teaching and see that it's had vigor or strength over a long period of time. And so that points to the validity and truth of all of its teaching, even the later developments in doctrine. So, I would recommend that you read the essay on the development of Christian doctrine because I just gave a very, very brief, bare summary and Newman explains it in great detail and gives a lot of examples. And it's very helpful to understand how it is that the church can teach things that seem to be new. And if you hear someone teaching something, even if it's a bishop or a pope, how do you discern whether or not what they're saying is an authentic development of doctrine or if it's a corruption and a falsehood? these these seven criteria are very helpful. And when applied to some of the issues that are brought up in this synod on synods and synodality of synodality synods or whatever, uh, you can easily throw out a lot of the things that are being talked about, like floating the idea that contraception is now morally acceptable, or that marriage can be redefined to mean also same-sex marriage. These are obvious contradictions of previous teaching. They're not present in any seed form in early teaching of the church, They're not anticipated by any past teaching. They contradict past teachings. Uh, So it's very clear that these things are not authentic developments and therefore they can never become authentic church teaching. So all the preparatory remarks about the Synod, all it's doing is causing confusion. But you can wade through that confusion by uh, thinking about what true development and doctrine really is and what a corruption of doctrine is. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. God bless.